I'm thankful for the Lord. Good to be saved. Thankful for the blood of Jesus. I'm thankful that the answer is still Jesus Christ. And I'm thrilled today. I'm only 34 years old. I'm not near as seasoned as some, but I'm rejoicing in the fact that I do have the ability to tell the greatest news in the entire world to this world that Jesus still saves. And I'm thankful to be in a place like this where the Lord can get to moving around. God's people can get some help. And uh, I appreciate your pastor and his years of traveling this country and pastoring this church here. And uh, I appreciate his influence in my life. And uh, the calling and the anointing God's placed on him. I don't know if y'all know this, but God's given y'all one of the best preachers around to pastor your church. From the time I was in Bible school, I would drive up different places and hear uh, him preach. And I never dreamed going through Bible college that I'd ever have the opportunity to preach for him. And it uh, means the world to me when you called and asked me to come. And I mean that. I'm not just saying that. It means the world to me. And I'm thrilled to see what God's doing here and believing that the best is yet to come. The choir sounds tremendous. If you're doing a fine job, don't quit. Stick in there. Endure hardness. When they say it's too loud, keep singing. When they say it's too quiet, keep singing. Just keep on going on. You're headed in the right direction. And uh, I appreciate uh, everything that God's doing here. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me just anywhere you want to. It's all good. Say amen. Um, <laughs> I've always wanted to say that. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Mark, chapter number 6. I'm going to read just a little bit tonight, but I believe I need to, to for you to get the understanding of what's going on here in our text. Like I said this morning, I like singing, I love music, it's part of who I am, but I do still believe that there's something that the Word of God can do that nothing else can do. And I'm hoping and praying tonight, sometimes I preach to people, uh, sometimes I preach for people, but tonight I need the preaching as much as anybody does, and I hope and pray that we can all be blessed and encouraged and helped from the Word of God. Look at with me at Mark chapter number 6, verse number 43. The Bible said, And they took up twelve baskets full of fragments and of the fishes. And they that did eat of the loaves were about five thousand men. And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship. And to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. Verse number 48. And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. 
And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased. And they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. Verse number 52, look at this now. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. Father God, I pray you'd help me now. Lord, you know my heart. You know what's going on in my mind. God, you know what's going on in this text. And I pray, O Lamb of God, that you'd hide me behind the cross. Remove me, and God, may the Word of God be the forefront in this place here tonight. I pray, dear Holy Ghost, that you would use the Word of God, take the Word of God, break it and bless it. And God, I pray that you'd spread it around this room, and God, do what you'd see fit with it tonight. God, for everything that you do, I'll lift my hands on credit and give you every ounce of the glory and praise, for it is in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said. The Lord does the miracle of feeding 5,000 some people. Some scholars would tell you that it just mentions the men, which meant it could have been doubled with family and kids. And I do not know a whole lot about that, but we do know that he at least fed 5,000 some men. The Bible said that straightway he constrains his disciples to go to the other side, to get into a ship and to go to the other side. Jesus goes and sends the people away. And while he sends those people away, we find out that uh, the disciples get inside this boat and they begin to go to the other side. While they are in the middle of the night rowing to the other side, the Bible said that they are that the Lord sees them toiling in rowing, which paints the picture to you and I that there was a storm, there was a a wind, there was a, a rumbling in the atmosphere here that caused these disciples that the wind was contrary unto them and that they are, it paints the picture of them toiling and rowing with everything that they have, trying to get to the other side. But even at the best of their strength and even at the best of their ability to row, they are not going anywhere. They are not making any progress whatsoever. They are toiling and rowing. And as I read that text, the words toiling and rowing simply seem to jump out off the page as that, that toiling and rowing, toiling and rowing, toiling and rowing. I thought, Lord, I, I know what it's like sometimes to feel like I am toiling in rowing. I'm doing what God told me to do, but yet I still feel like I'm toiling in rowing. I, I know what it's like to feel stuck at times. When I feel like I'm not making progress, I know what it's like to be on the mountaintop. As a preacher, I know what it's like for the Lord to give me momentum in certain areas of my ministry and things to be going in progress and everything fine and, and the skies be blue and no storms arise in my life. I know what it's like for things to be good and, and to, to, to row and give 
get where I feel like I need to go. But I also know what it's like for life sometimes to uh, hand me a set of cards that, that is not that way. That where I, I'm doing the same thing I was doing. I'm operating the same way that I used to operate. But now it's hard to get to the other side. Now it's rough to, to row. I'm facing an obstacle. There is something in my face that was not there earlier in my life. And here I have found that the same way that these disciples had to toil in their rowing, I learned that you and I in this life will have to toil in rowing at times as well. Sometimes ministries get stuck. Sometimes our marriages get stuck. Sometimes our finances get stuck. Sometimes every area of our life there are things that will about face us and come into our world that will force us to lose our progress. What do you do? when you have to toil in rowing. The Bible is very clear here of some things that happened in these boys' life as they toiled in rowing. Let's be honest and not be so spiritual in this room tonight. Have you ever wanted to just quit? Have you ever just said... I'm doing everything I know to do right, and I'm not making any progress. Some of y'all so spiritual, you can't admit that. But I dare say all of us know what it's like to throw our hands up and say, Lord, what's going on? Anybody ever felt like God didn't exactly know what was going on exactly in your life? These disciples are in the middle of a boat that Jesus told them to get in. And yet, they're facing a storm. If we're going to make it to the other side and get unstuck, if we're to make it to the other side and, and uh, fight through the winds of this life and not give up, I believe there are things right here in our text that we can take and apply to our lives that can help us with that. The very first thing I think that we see in our text is there are things that we must recall. There are things that we must recall. That is, in our private time, when nobody else is around, we must fight the battle. I have learned this, that the battle is not necessarily on the outside near as much as the battle is on the inside. It is in our mind. That's why the Bible said, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. We must put on the mind of Christ. And if we're going to make it through these, these tough days and these difficult days, we must put on the mind of Christ. And in that, there are things that we must recall. And if I could go back in time, knowing what I know from the Word of God, and try to encourage the disciples on that boat, the very first thing I'd say is, boys, there's some things that you need to recall. There's some things that you need to remember. Number one, you need to recall your company you need to recall that just while you were on the shore when he, he said that it constrained his disciples to get on the boat matter of fact I'd say boys you got to remember that while you were on the land that Jesus claimed you he claimed you as one of his own and in this boat you may be in the middle of a dark circumstance but you must remind yourself that you are not your own but you've been bought with a price and you belong to him and the, the, the psalmist said it like this, I've been young and I've been old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken. He may not be right here with you, but he knows where you are. He sees you where you are and you must remember that you belong to him. It does good for some of you tonight to remind yourself that you belong to Jesus. 
the devil comes crawling up and reminding you you ain't nothing and we ain't nothing, don't get me wrong. But we need to remind the devil every now and then that I used to belong to you, but remember the day when Jesus came by and bought me with his own precious blood. I don't belong to you anymore. Good God Almighty, that's good preaching, y'all. I belong to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I may not be nothing, but he who I am with is everything and I will make it to the other side because I belong to Jesus. Their company, they must recall. Second of all, they're constraining. They're constrained. They must recall they're constraining. He said he, his disciples were constrained to get in the ship. Jesus constrained them. He rounded them up and said, get in the boat. You know what I have found out? The safest place in the entire world is in the center of the will of God. It does not mean that you ain't going to have to go through stuff you didn't want to go through. I, I remember a day in my life when I literally thought that as long as I'm living for God and tithing and doing the best I know how to do, then bad stuff won't happen to me. But how many of you know that just ain't true? I sent my prayer cloth in and got a refund, honey. It just ain't so. You live for God, there's going to be things that attack you. But in those seasons, we not only need to remember our company, but we need to remember our constraining that we were living our life, doing our own thing, and out in the middle of it, that God came and constrained us and said, I want you to go here. This is what I want you to do. And let me tell you, there is great confidence that comes from the fact of knowing that I may not know what's going on, and I may not know how it's going to get fixed, but I do know this, that I am directly where God told me to be, and if God forsakes me, He'll have to forsake me in the midst of where he told me to be and I will trust God in the middle of where God told me to be. Now for those in the middle of the will of God that's, that's encouraging but for those that are outside the will of God that ought to scare you to death. You hear me? If the safest place is in the will of God then the most dangerous place is out of the will of God. We find that they are to recall their company they are to recall their constraining and they are to recall their command. Jesus said they are mine. Get in the boat and go to the other side. Not only are they His and not only are they where they were told to be, but they're going where God said to go. If I was talking to the disciples, I would like to say, do you really think that if you belong to Him, and you're where He told you to be, going where He told you to go, do you really think that He's going to let you die? No. God will take care of you. In the midst of this situation, we, there are things that we must recall, and there are things that we must reject. There are things that we must reject. What they saw had to play an important role in their fear on the middle of the Sea of Galilee that day. It was dark. They'd been out there nearly all evening long rowing and rowing. It's about the fourth watch of the night. They're toiling and rowing. And we know that's about the early, early in the morning in the wee hours of the morning. They've been out there all night. It's dark outside. The waves, maybe you could see the waves on the side. What do you do when what, the, what you see begins to bring fear? Sometimes by faith we must reject what we see and still trust what God said. Not only what we see, but 
what we think. What we see goes into our mind and that, that is perceived of what we think about what we see. And then what we think turns into how we feel about something. But it all starts by the information that comes in our mind. And sometimes the devil is in control of what we see. And then we perceive it through our mind. And if any of y'all's like me, when it gets in our mind, it gets in a mess. I am ADDHDXYZ and all the above. Y'all can probably tell that Tucker ain't going to be too far from the tree. I sometimes am, am, am decent at preaching on faith, but I ain't good at living it at all sometimes. Sometimes I can leave a service high as a kite, I mean enjoying the goodness of God, only for the devil to let me see something or hear something and me process that in my mind and I've already convinced myself that it's over before it's even got started. What is that thing that scares you to death? That you have allowed the things that has come through your senses to get in your brain and now it is controlling everything about you. We live in a world that is a multi-billion dollar year process of anti-depression and anxiety and I've had my bout with that. I know what it's like to go through trouble and storms and not be able to kick myself out of it. But what do you do when the devil fights you and the things around you begin to cave in on you and you can't catch your breath? and the world seemingly comes in on you, most people will say, I'll give up and I will quit. I'm done with it all. But you are missing out on the blessing of going to the other side. There are things that we must reject. Years ago, I had a bout with kidney stones. Lord, help me. But before I knew that they were kidney stones, I thought I was dying. I would go home and I'd preach and I'd roll around in that bed and I'd take goody powders and Tylenol and do all that stuff that my mom, I'd call mom, I'd say, Mom, I'm, she's laughing at me right now because she knows I'm telling the truth. I'd roll around in that bed hurting and crying and I'd tell Becky something wrong. She said, I've been telling you something was wrong with you for a long time. And all that go on, I say, I'm dying, I'm telling. She said, go up your life insurance policy. That's all I, I mean, I, I'd roll around, I was hurting and hurting. I remember I was up in Eden, North Carolina, preaching one night. I found out there was a girl in there that worked uh, as a nurse on the side too. And I, I went and I told her, I said, ma'am, I said, I've been hurting all over. I said, I, she said, where have you been hurting that preacher? I said, right here, right here, right here. She said, oh, Lord, Brother C.T., Go hug your family. Go hug your mom and dad. Uncle Bill Bob hurt just like that and he didn't last three weeks. And it's funny now, but in those days I had literally convinced myself through the help of that nurse and WebMD. Y'all better not Google your symptoms. Somebody give me a witness up in here. You better not get on there and tell Mr. WebMD or Google what's going on, where are you hurting at, because it will come back and you either have Mongolian body rot or you are dying very quickly. In my mind in those days, I lived more defeated than I have ever lived in my whole life. I welcomed the fact that I had kidney stones once I learned that's what it was. 
Sometimes, and y'all can laugh at me, but you know what it's like for a little thought to get in that brain. We had the preacher. He praised old so-and-so for her mashed potatoes she brought to the dinner, but he didn't say nothing about my mac and cheese. I bet the preacher don't love me. That's what's wrong with the big church like this. They don't even know your name no more. I just, I think I'm going to go somewhere else where I can feel appreciated. And the preacher loved your mac and cheese. But it's something the enemy placed in your brain. Well, I bet them people on that side of the church don't like me. That's why she didn't talk to me when she came in church. When are we going to learn where those thoughts come from? How many more people got to get out of church before we realize where those thoughts come from? The enemy is in control. He's the prince in the power of the air. And sometimes he is the one that is setting those things up that come through our senses that which allow to get to our brain and how we feel. And sometimes people give up and quit over things that never were even a reality. How many marriages have ended over a thought that the enemy implanted in their brain that was not even a reality. How many teenagers commit suicide over a seed thought that the enemy plants in that brain? If we're going to make it to the other side, there are things we must reject. Then lastly, there are things that we must receive. There are things that we must receive. I've said everything that I've said tonight to say this, and I'll take my seat. What in the world is the deal with Jesus who's better than a meteorologist? He's better than the weatherman. He creates the weather. He knows what's going to happen. How come Jesus, loving his disciples, yet knowing that that storm was on the way, would put his disciples in the boat and tell them to go to the other side when he knew that that storm would intersect them? It's the same question. That mankind has shouted at God for centuries. Why would a loving God do something like that? If God, you've said it, I've said it, we've heard other people say it. If God really loved me, why wouldn't he have stopped that from happening to me? If God loved me the way the preacher says he loved me, He would have rescued me from that situation. I don't understand the fullness of everything, but I believe the Lord has showed me something here that I believe can help us. They get out in the middle of this stormy situation and Jesus, at just the right time, decides to take a walk on top of the water. Isn't it interesting how the Lord has the ability just to take a casual stroll on top of what scares us to death? And Jesus goes to walking on the water. And it would have scared the disciples nearly to death. And they screamed out. He said, be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. And the Bible said that they were sore amazed and wondered as Jesus got in the boat. And when he gets in the boat, the wind stops, the waves lay down. Everything's fine. And if you'd let Jesus back in your boat, everything would be fine too. But Jesus gets in the boat. And here, everything's fine. And the Bible says this, and it 
to me it is a verse, and you may not have you may have this answer already, but there's a verse here that sticks out like a sore thumb. It says this, for they consider not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. What does that have anything to do with these boys being out on the storm? I believe it has everything to do with these boys being out on that storm. We rewind here and we find some disciples that were handpicked by the Master. They were His assistants. They were those that helped get prepare the kingdom and, and work the miracles and do all the things that Jesus did. And when they started off, they were amazed at everything Jesus did as Jesus would begin to do the miracles. Could you see them as they, they had heard about what Jesus could do? They had heard about all the miracles that had happened. But when Jesus would perform those miracles right before their eyes, could you imagine what it was like as they saw it for the very first time as He would take their breath away? They'd look at each other and say, Did you see that? Did you see what he just did? Who is this guy that we're walking with? Who, who is this guy that we're talking with? He is a miracle worker. He is amazing. He is wonderful. But it is a different story when we get to this place. Jesus takes a couple pieces of bread and a couple pieces of fish and breaks it and blesses it and it begins to multiply so much so that he feeds 5,000 some people with it and the disciples are carrying these baskets of food around and instead of tears in their eyes and instead of amazement that they know how much food that they just took over there, they know that that was more food than they started with in the beginning, but they go back and there's more every single time. But instead of recognizing the miracle of the multiplication of the blessing that day, the Bible said the only thing we hear out of those disciples was them saying, Lord, send them away. Send them away. It's almost evening time. We got too much to do. Send them away. We find disciples that are not compassionate. We find disciples that are not amazed. We find disciples that are not awestruck. We find disciples that are not caught up in the moment and amazed at what God's doing. And in that moment, Jesus realizes they have lost their wonder. Listen to me. More than the quantity of your work, Jesus is interested in the quality of our work. And I've learned in my own heart that there are times when I have gotten stale. Matter of fact, I have found out that the easiest place for me to come become disconnected from the perfect will of God is in the middle of serving God. I'm doing what He said but my heart's not in it. Get quiet, I'm going to think I'm talking to you. I'm doing what God told me to do, but I lost my tears. I'm doing what God told me to do, but I've lost my joy for it. And I'm doing what God's called me to do, but i got an attitude about it. I'm doing what God told me to do, but it don't make me happy no more. You will not operate like that very long. You will wind up out of church and miserable the rest of your life if you keep operating where walking with Jesus and working with Jesus does not amaze you anymore. I can't testify for you, but I would beg 
to, to wager on the fact that the churches you preach in are much like the churches I preach in. And it's full of people that are sitting on a pew that at one point in time in your life, when you first got saved, everything that God did for you. Whoo! Hallelujah! You may not shout like I shout, but inside your heart, you felt it like I felt it. God, pay your little light bill. And you'd run five laps around your church. You're so happy over what God did for you. You'd eat a meal and you'd start remembering about how lost you was and how hellbound you was. And no preacher had to pump you up. No preacher had to prime you up. They didn't have to sing your favorite song. It didn't have to be your favorite soloist. You could come in the house of God and you was amazed at what God done for you. If the preacher gave you an opportunity to testify, use the first one that would stand to your feet and say, Preacher, God been good to me. I didn't deserve nothing but hell, but God saved me anyhow. And you'd walk around people asking, you how you's doing, you'd go to snotting and crying, testifying about how good God been to you. You'd get up in that choir and it didn't matter how stale the rest of them was, you'd raise your hand uh, and testify that God had been good to you and that God had been wonderful to you. You were amazed at every little thing that God had done to you, God had done for you. But now, you've been doing it so long. That you have the ability to just sit there. And you've convinced yourself that you're worshiping. And you've convinced yourself that you're alright. But the truth is, our hearts get hard. And our hearts get cold. I was preaching in a little old church not long ago when the Lord started dealing with my heart about this sermon. I left the church, went to my little hotel room all by myself. That service was as dead and as dry as anything I'd ever been in my life. The people that were in that building, I felt like, Lord, they don't want to hear no preaching. Why did they call me in the first place? And I went to that hotel room and I put my Bible on the bed and I said, God, if it's going to be like that, I'll go get a job. I thought the Lord was going to take my side and say, yeah, they are dead, but that ain't what He told me. The Lord told me in my heart that they're not the problem. I was the problem. I said, but Lord, I'm on the road nearly every day of my life. The Lord showed me that I was doing the right thing the wrong way. Before you crucify me on that, I dare say about all of us. Where I got in a routine. I got in a rut. And I quit being amazed. And I fell on my knees at that little bed. And I begged God to forgive me. And I begged God to help me not to get dry and calloused, and cold, but that God would give me my amazement back. And it took a while, but He did it. 
And I preach to people every day. I do not believe it means they're bad people. I believe it means we're normal people that we live in a very wicked world. And if we're not careful and if we don't work very hard to stay close to God, our hearts will become callous. I meet with teenagers all the time. They know how to dress right. They know how to act right. They know how to talk right. But if you check their heart, their heart's not where it needs to be with God because they've allowed it to get cold and callous. And I'm here to tell you that sometimes if the disciples can get cold, on Jesus you and I better check up because we can get cold on Jesus and we can get to the same place where they are where all around them there were miracles all around them and they did not even recognize the miracles I wonder what miracles the Lord's been doing around you lately and you ain't even been able to see them here's a miracle When's the last time you saw that miracle? You see, you done, you done tricked yourself that you deserve that miracle. But I promise you, there's lots of people in this world right now that wish they could go. To them, that would be a miracle. I look over here at my family, and to me, that's a miracle. That's a miracle. My daddy was a complete drunk alcoholic. My mama, I can't say nothing bad about her, but she was not a Christian at one point in time in her life. They raised up. My mom and daddy went to church and my daddy got saved. It wasn't long after that my, my mama got saved. It wasn't long after they got married. It wasn't long after that I come around. They got joined the church, become faithful in the house of God today. Uh, the, the, the same daddy of mine that used to be a drunkard pastors of church. Uh, my brother's a preacher. I'm a preacher. If y'all let my mama preach tonight, she could preach better than most men I know. I'm just telling the truth. That's a miracle. There are people in this room tonight, you're a miracle. There are people in this room here right now that if it wasn't for the grace of God, you wouldn't even be alive right now. You're a miracle. I wonder when the last time somebody got saved was and instead of rejoicing with tears running down your eyes over that person getting saved, you was more worried if he's going to get out in time to get to Cracker Barrel to eat your lunch. God... Give us our amazement back. When's the last time that God took your breath away? I remember the first time when Tucker was born. When Tucker came into this world and I heard him cry for the first time. A miracle. I remember it took my breath away. I was amazed that the goodness of God not knowing that I could love anything or anyone as much as I did him. As a miracle. All the times in my life that God has taken my breath away, there have been special church services in my life that I can remember where a man of God preaching under an anointing in his, with his life and, and God speaking to me and God challenging me where in the, on the altar God took my breath away and God dealt with me in such a powerful way where God took my breath away. And hear me well, it's not just good enough for what God has done, but if you'll be honest, all of us need to get back to that place where every morning when we wake up that God takes our breath away, where 
we open up the Word of God and it takes our breath away, where the choir gets up and sings and it takes our breath away, where the man of God opens the Word of God and begins to preach to the point where they don't have to pump you nor prime you, but it is the Word of God that takes your breath away. Oh God, give us a church again that has their breath taken away, where they can enjoy, where they can say, I don't have money and I don't have fame, but that's all right because I'm amazed at how good and how wonderful God has been to me. I don't deserve the shoes on my feet. I don't deserve the clothes on my back. I don't deserve the roof over my head, but if I don't have nothing, I'm going to be all right because I'm still amazed at how good God has been to me. America needs some amazed Christians. America needs some wonder-filled Christians where you're standing amazed at how good God's been. And I believe this. that Them boys got put on that boat secure in the arms of God so a little storm could come up and where they could be fearful for their lives only to see Jesus perform a miracle for them. And he gets on the boat, says, be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. And the Bible said that they were amazed and wondered. And at that moment, they got it. They got it. Let me ask you a question. What's it going to take for you to get it? What's it going to take for you to get your amazement back? God, help us. My prayer this week is, God, through these meetings, may somebody hear something or experience something through the singing or through the preaching where they can go back in their mind and remember how lost they were to recognize how good God's been to this point and get amazed again. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, nobody's looking around. Whoever, somebody's coming to the piano, they're going to sing a song invitation. I want us to stand to our feet with heads bowed and eyes closed all over the building. I'm going to find myself a place on this altar. I believe it'd be the perfect will of God For some of us to come find ourselves a place around this altar to start this meeting off tonight and say, God, I want my amazement back. I want my tears back. I want my compassion back. God, I remember a day when I was closer to you than I am right now, and God, I'm asking you for my power back. I'm asking you for my tears back as they play softly on the piano. People are moving from all over, and that's wonderful. I wonder how many more would come find themselves a place around this altar and say, oh, dear Lord, give me my amazement back. God, tonight let me see you walk towards me. God, may I feel your presence get in the boat once again. God, may I be amazed. I don't want to live the rest of my life unamazed. I don't want to go one more day cold. God, I want to go in the unction and power that only comes from you. 
as they sing a song invitation you mind the Lord tonight does Jesus care when my heart is pain too deeply for mirth and song as the burdens press and the cares distress and the way grows weary and long oh yes he cares i know he cares his heart is touched with my grief when the days are weary, the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. Does Jesus care? When my heart is dark with a nameless dread and fear, as the daylight fades into deep night shades, does he care? enough to be near oh yes he cares i know he cares his heart is touched with my grief when the day are weary the long nights dreary I know my Savior cares does Jesus care when I've tried and failed to resist some temptation strong when for my deep grief i find no relief though my tears flow all the night long Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary, 
the long night's dreary I know my Savior 